Welcome to the Mundane Truth Podcast. This is a podcast hosted by the Kenneth Supreme McGriff Support Team. Each week we will bring you information on riveting stories on wrongful convictions and actual innocence, along with legal news and updates, as well as stories of trials to triumphs. You heard it here first on the Mundane Truth. Do you have a business, service, or product that you want to get out to the world? Are you trying to build a new business and need more hands on deck? Tired of the same website or logo and need a new one? If you've answered yes to any of these, we have the solution for you. ELI Solutions is a creative agency that enjoys helping people to grow, develop, and build their million-dollar brand. Contact us today at myelisolutions.org. Hello, everybody. This is Sage coming to you all from the Midwest. <laughs> I hope that you all are staying warm out there. We have a, an amazing guest on the show, Sadiq. How are you, Mr. Sadiq? I'm fine, thank you. Not a problem. And we also have with us on the show Eric. Eric, are you there? Eric, if you're on mute, please unmute yourself. Okay. Hello? Sadiq, are you there? Yes, I am. Okay, can you hear it fine? Yeah, I can hear you clear. All right, Eric, are you on the line? If you're on the line, say something so that we know that you're there. Yeah, there might be uh, some technical uh, difficulties, but uh, ladies and gentlemen on the show, we have uh, Eric tonight, and Eric will be talking to us um, about black excellence and things that he has coming up as far as projects go. So uh, me and Sadiq will just keep the train going with the conversation for a little bit. But how are you, Sadiq? I'm fine, thank you. I'm fine. I'm still buzzing off our last podcast interview. Me too. That was a great one, right? It just sticks with you. Yes, it does. The mundane truth. We got a lot of feedback on it. Got a lot of people interested and have a lot of good interviews coming up in the very near future. Tell me about that. Yeah, we have a lot of things that we're going to work on with respect to tragedy to triumph. Brothers that have transitioned from prison to the society and have gone through some serious struggles and they don't mind sharing those struggles with us. And they are sticking to their blueprint, they're sticking to the plan, and they are making great strides. So they'll be coming along and they'll be sharing some of those hardships and difficulties that they've been going through, and they'll be sharing some of their successes in the process. So we look forward to hearing from them. Okay. Very, very good. Tragedy to triumph, son. That's a big one. Yeah. So I want to know, like, is it? especially hard to actually manage something like that? Because I know a lot of people that have been released from prison, they deal with things like PTSD so and depression because, you know, they're trying to reestablish themselves in the community. So is it difficult working with them? Oh, yeah, it's definitely, definitely difficult on the individual. Um, it's difficult for individuals to work with them because they're transitioning and making their paradigm shift from a prison environment to a free society, so to speak. So it's a difficult task, but it's a task worthy undertaking. Um, I'm in it for the long haul. Um, I believe that this is something that I want to do as long as I'm capable of doing it. And the benefits are, like, marvelous, watching brothers coming home, getting their lives together and getting their careers in order and making a prosperous living out here. I love it. And I enjoy the fact yes. that the mundane truth is allowing brothers to express their truths and be able to help others along the way. I love it, too. And also, Sadiq, I think that we have Eric on the line. Eric, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you nice and clear. Okay, good. Good. So what happens was I was sent some information about you, and I'm more than interested in, in speaking with you tonight, me and my guest host, Sadiq, and we have a lot of questions. I know that you really piqued his curiosity before you got on. He said, you know, he was asking me, like, who are you? And, you know, who is his brother? What is he about? So um, both of us together would make for a great conversation with you. Um, but I have some questions to get this train going. We would like to get you 
we would like to get to know you um, a lot better. So tell us about yourself. Who Who is Eric Harris? Okay, well, uh, I guess I'll just start by saying that, you know, my family was out of Columbus, Georgia, uh, sharecropper family, seven brothers, two sisters. Um, my father fought in the last all-black infantry unit uh, out of Fort Benning, Georgia, uh, and, uh, you know, came back from that, you know, somewhat, you know, somewhat injured. Um, he wanted to get out of Columbus, as you can imagine. We're talking the 50s, so you got to get off the sidewalk um, when, when that white person comes in. I don't care if you're in uniform or not. Uh, we moved up to Boston. You know, it wasn't easy being up in there, too, just with all that was going on up in there. And so I think really what for me, if I were to say anything about sort of just kind of as we start to get into this, it's about resilience. You know, it's about this black experience where we – have to continue to understand that we've got to keep on fighting uh, to get where we need to get to because if we're not there yet. We, we continue to have these obstacles and sort of trials and tribulations, but the reality is we just have to continue to be resilient. And if you want to think about me, I think that's probably what I would describe myself as, is just trying to be resilient, trying to stay positive, try to stay strong, be about the community, help others that are less fortunate than you, which is what Zadiq has mentioned, uh, I think that's that's basically how I would kind of characterize myself. That is wonderful. Did I answer your question, Zadiq? Sure did. Sure did. Welcome to the show also, buddy. Appreciate it, bro. Okay. Now tell us a little more about your life and your upbringing and pivotal things that shaped the man that you became today. For me, uh, we talking to me, Eric. Okay. Yeah, uh, I guess what I would say, what was pivotal is you know I had a mom that really kind of pushed it, uh, and she really wanted us to be the best that we could be from from an education standpoint. A little bit about my mother, you know, my mother graduated from nursing school. Not only was she the first black to graduate from her class, but um, she was number one in her class. Now, of course, it being Boston back in that day, you know, you would think that she was would be easily able to get a job, you know, at a university, you know, university hospital or any of the hospitals there, but she was not able to get that job, even though she was number one in the class and first to graduate uh, in her class. I mean, first black to graduate in her class. That being said, what was fortunate for her, which, you know, just tells you about, again, the black experience in our story, is that she was at a time when the Vietnam was just beginning, and I think if anybody knows about the Vietnam, sort of the frontline troops at that time were over-indexing, majority being of black soldiers. So there were so many black soldiers coming back injured that the VA had to open up its quotas and let more black nurses on because there were so many black troops coming back in that they needed more black nurses. And that is how she was able to get a job at the uh, VA, which she worked for for 30 years and then had a discrimination lawsuit. But what she taught me was education was the key. You've got to get that education. So when you look at sort of my background, really what I've tried to do is just kind of work hard um, and, and, and just kind of go to school really. And then, Going from going to school, you know, I studied economics. I studied economics opportunities of black America, so I really kind of got into that. From there, um, you know, I went on and became a banker. And then from there, I became a digital marketer. And from there, I now own a copy uh, business as well as I'm, I, I work in entertainment. And so I'm working on some content stories um, at that point, point in time. But really for me, to get to where I've gotten to, it's just been hard work. It's just listening to the importance of what my mother told me because it wasn't going to be easy, and so I really took that to heart uh, and really took it seriously. Very good, very good. I like that. So your mother, was a, she played a vocal, important part in your life. Incredibly important, incredibly important. So, so when we talk about the black woman, 
I mean, we gotta we gotta understand, and everybody knows that a lot of times they are the ones that have really kind of made it for us to to get to somewhere where they've had to really lift a heavy heavy burden. When I say a heavy burden, you know, my father came back um, from the war. He was an alcoholic, uh, you know, abusive. So it was really on her that she kind of raised us. And I think a lot of us have that similar story, but that black woman has been so important, I think, in many of our lives that it's just, if it wasn't for her, where would I be? Exactly. And um, Sadiq is also uh, doing a book on the uh, black woman, and we'll get more um, into that later. Actually, Sadiq, would you like to talk about that? Um. Yes, I do. But before I do that, I really appreciate what you say about the black women because they have blazed the trails for a lot of us as men. However, what I would like to ask a question on is regards to this black experience. Because I hear how you speak about living in the South, how your mom graduated the first black in a class, still unable to get a job. Can you expound a little more on this black experience project that you're part of? Yeah, well, sure. I mean, sort of the, the, the Black Experience Project that I'm, I'm working on, really, I want to have the truth-telling of stories that we as black people have experienced that have not been told. And one of those stories, obviously, is I want to talk about sort of this last all-black segregated uh, infantry unit that was out of uh, that went to Korea. Um, they fought their way up into South up into North Korea, uh, the CIA, and this is going to be very pivotal. And I think, Sadiq, you'll, you'll, you'll understand this. Sometimes our government has not always been on our side. And so a perfect example of that, and when we talk about this black storytelling, this black experience, we had a black infantry unit with a couple of other uh, units way up in North, North Korea. Uh, the CIA basically said that the – Chinese would not invade uh, North Korea, and sure enough, the, the Chinese troops did invade, um, and sort of the numbers were, I think, almost like three or 400,000 Chinese troops invaded. So I think the U.S. troops were outnumbered 40 to 1, and a lot of those units that were up in North Korea at that time were black units. Now, these black units fought their way all the way back into South Korea. The casualty rate was abysmal. It was horrible. Of course, at the end, when they get back into South Korea, what the narrative was, as opposed to the CIA saying that they messed up on intelligence, that it was wrong, they should have expected the Chinese troops to come in, what they said is the reason why there were so many casualties, the casualty rate was so high for these black troops because they did not have the ability to fight uh, and they ran away um, in terms of when uh, the Chinese troops came charging in, which was totally not true. But as you know, the narrative always is put it on us and let us take the blame. And these stories need to be told that it isn't true that this unit, these units fought uh, heroically. Um, and, you know, obviously a lot of them died, but think about that. Here they are with a country that they are still living in a segregated self, yet they're laying their lives on the line, and yet their story is, is that they were not true fighters, which is totally not true. So that would be one of the stories when we talk about the black experience, tell the truth of our sort of cause and what we have gone through. Great point, brother. Great point. I love it. And I look forward to hearing more of those stories as well. Another question that I had was uh, black experience from our point of view. It says that the film's project explores the black experience centering individuals' self-identity or whose self-identity as black and African heritage living in the United States. What do you mean by centering an individual's self-identity? Well, I mean, I, when I talk about self-identity, you know, identity, I think that what we need to do is just to talk about ourselves and sort of 
being proud of our heritage and our identity, and this is where I come back to this resilience, where if you think about what we have gone through and where what we've experienced, think about slavery. When we think about the slavery, um, if you were weak, right, in, in, when we talk about identity, when we just talk about the strength that we have, if you were sort of a weak individual in slavery with sort of this, uh, you know, obviously you think about the heat, you think about malaria, um, only the strongest survived. The weak individuals of us, of people of color, did not make it. That was just the reality of slavery. So when we talk about our identity and when we talk about us, we are a strong people, and we have to be aggressive in giving confidence to each other now to our younger brothers and sisters with their identity and really looking at historically where we've come from and how much we've persevered. So that's basically sort of the things that when I talk about identity, we've got to be more aggressive in really telling how strong of a people we are. And I don't think that we do that enough. Point, and I agree. I like that. Aggressive in giving comfort. Not only comfort, but confidence, wisdom, sharing our experiences. I think we do have to be aggressive in that regard. Excellent point, Eric. Yes. Yes, you expounded on that uh, very well, Eric, and I really did enjoy listening. So I want to know, how did you first come in contact with a member of Kenneth Supreme McGriff support team, and what was your ultimate goal? Well, I think I think my 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 ultimate goal when I when I came into contact was that we wanted to talk about another aspect of the storytelling is sort of this drug you know drug epidemic. I mean, it's just um, part of that story is just telling about individuals who have obviously gotten caught up in the justice system. Um, you know, for a scenario or for situations uh, that when you really look at sort of this overall uh, drug war, let's just be frank, uh, when we think about the 80s, cocaine went from $100 to like $16 a gram. Uh, how does that happen? What What is going on that these drugs are flowing through? Well, it's going, it's happening because we're, we're paying for a war uh, in uh, Central America uh, supposedly to stop communism, and the way we're paying for it is we're flooding sort of these communities uh, with cocaine. And so when we think about um, what the impact of that is, you want to look at sort of the stories of individuals that who have gotten caught up into this justice system. Now, um, I know Supreme Supreme has said, you know, there's been, you know, there's stories of him where he, maybe he wasn't perfect, but sort of when you look at sort of his case, again, and I'm not a lawyer, but when you look at it, an individual comes out, wants to do the right thing, um, receives a, a $500,000 uh, number to, to work on sort of entertainment from Def Jam, yet at that time, you know, ironically, uh, that's when the justice system really comes down uh, and obviously takes those assets, and then, you know, you're with a public defender and um, they're seeking a death penalty, which seemed to be somewhat outrageous at that time. So, we, you know, it's one of those things when you start to examine the different stories of what's happened to individuals that have gotten into the justice system, you want to kind of learn more. Um, and I think that's what we, we wanted to do is kind of find out a little bit more about him and his, his story um, and how he got there. Absolutely. And from hearing about Supreme Story, what is it that you and your team believe? Well, I mean, I, 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 I believe that, that the, the way the justice system came at him um, in that scenario is just very, again, I'm not a lawyer, but it just, it just seems very questionable. The death penalty um, uh, charge that was initially brought up where even if you look at sort of the, some of the transcripts and if you look at sort of what the judge is saying, the judge was really like, I, I, it just this, he wasn't comfortable um, sort of with the approach that the justice system was taking. So 
I mean, I think that's kind of one of the things that's really interesting when we think about sort of how we got there. Um, you know, we got there by drugs fl- kind of really flooding into the sort of this country, paying for war, and then you you have a lot of scenarios then where no one on that other side, and when we talk about that other side, we're, we're talking about sort of that government. Everybody is getting pardoned, yet in this community, in this black community, you're seeing these long sentences uh, for individuals and the book being thrown at them. So that's really kind of what we're looking at um, when you sort of kind of compare and contrast what happened during that time uh, between different groups of individuals, i.e. the United States government uh, that kind of had a strategy to pay contractors to bring um, cocaine into the United States, and then you sort of see these communities, how what happened in the epidemic that took place then, but then also at the same time, you then sort of see their strategy to make sure that they were going to lock brothers up uh, for long periods of time, you know, uh, by hell or high water. So that's, that's kind of really sort of what we're really looking at. With what you just said, Eric, and knowing that what? that the justice system hasn't always been favorable to us and with the conspiracy to incarcerate us based on them hiring contractors to bring in drugs into our community, from the time sure. of the civil rights movement until now, in looking at the justice system, do you believe that the black experience has been progressive or degressive? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I just think that, I, I, I oof, yeah, it's a great question. I, I just think that, I mean, the, the, what we've had to go through, um, you know, would make, you know, would make, you know, anybody cry, you know, when you think about that, where sure. uh, it it's just, I mean, I, I just think about it. I mean, you, but, but when you talk, and when you, you, you kind of mentioned this movement, civil rights movement, you've got Aaron Rodgers now sort of saying his, you know, his, his, uh, not, you know, his cause is similar to Martin Luther King. I mean, that's how much they discount and not respect what we've gone through. Um, so yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. That's a, that's a great question, but I, I just know that we're not where we should be at, at this point in time. Right. And do you believe that there are steps or measures in which we can take to, Continuously make progress if we've made any. Are there any I think having I think having you, I having having us on this show and talking about it, we've got to keep on talking about it. We've got to, we can't give up the fight. I mean, this, this is a fight, man. This is a battle. Right. This 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 ain't no like you know, you know, playground games. I mean, because it, it 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 just continues new strategies of new strategies to keep on knocking us out. You know, this, it's not. It hasn't changed. Um, yeah, has, have things gotten better? Sure, they've gotten a little better, but people keep on talking about this Obama, you know, now that everything's cool with Obama, but let's, let's go over something here. More white people voted uh, against Obama in both times he ran for election than for him, and I don't think people realize that. So it wasn't like white people all came on board and said, kumbaya, we're down. More white people voted against Obama than for him in both election cycles. And I don't think people realize that. Well, do you think that he was favorable towards the plight of black people or the experiences of blacks in America? Uh, would I have liked to have seen him be more aggressive? Yeah, hell yeah. I understand, I understand, what, he, I'm, I understand what he's trying to do is – create a coalition so he can win. Um, but I think that second term, I mean, you ain't coming for a third term. So, you know, I feel like you got to get it on at that point. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, he did talk about it. He did talk about sort of the sentencing. Uh, I thought he, you know, he was at least talking about that and he was visiting sort of, um, you know, visit the penitentiary and talked about sort of these unfavorable uh, incarceration. So I do feel like he, he was bringing it up, but could he have been more aggressive? Hell yeah, I think he definitely should have been more aggressive. Absolutely. And I myself definitely have to say this. I definitely think it's a, it's a case of love or war, although in 2021 we are not um, progressing as we or should be where 
our ancestors expected. But I think with the amount of hard work and education and, and elevation that especially these black men like yourself, Eric, and Sadiq on the show, you've made all the difference. So I think our ancestors can definitely uh, account that. So I, I thank you guys for that a lot. So, you know, all we can do at the end of the day, this is what Eric was saying earlier, we have to keep fighting. And, you know, just like what we're doing on the show now, we're talking about we're talking about it. Right? Yes, definitely. Absolutely. we got to talk about it. We got to talk about the realness, and I think Sadiq is talking about giving, giving back. We got brothers and sisters that are coming out. We gotta help them. We gotta give back. We, you know, we gotta, we gotta just keep on fighting and helping and giving, helping these young people, giving them hope. I mean, we got, we got to do it. We got to do it. Oh yeah, and Malcolm X, you know, he said it best. He said, "If you want something, you better make some noise." That's true. Right about and we hear the message. Okay. Absolutely. So, Eric, talk to us about the black experience. Who is a part of it? What is your mission? And what is it, et cetera? Well, I, I think our mission is to get individuals to talk and tell the truth. Um, one individual that we, we, we were, were talking to, um, in it's when we think about sort of this prison, uh, scenario where there was a great speech given by uh, Dr. Cornell West and Dr. Cornell West was at I believe it was Riverside Church and he was talking about sort of the Attica uprising but in that speech um, which I really liked is that he basically said that truth matters and that we don't tell the truth when it comes to poverty, we don't tell the truth when it comes to justice. And what he said that really struck me was that essentially what he said is that what I think what we're trying to talk about for uh, for our storytelling is that when you look at sort of what has taken place, sort of sort of Wall Street, with you know I think with the mortgages, and when you when you see about sort of this Iran Contra affair. Nobody goes to jail there, but what they do focus on is the crime on the block, and they focus on trying to make sure they get that arrest of that sister and brother. Uh, that's that's what's important, and he's telling the truth. And so that's part of what we want to continue to talk about is that why is the focus so much about getting, you know, that sister or that brother but not sort of doing the right thing where other individuals have created that chaos in the community because none of those individuals ever, ever uh, get involved or, or never get in trouble for, for doing sort of what they've done from a, you know, a, you know, a immoral sort of standpoint. Absolutely. Why do you feel that this is a message that the American people need to hear? Well, I think that we've, again, from, a, from the black experience, you would never, ever say, and, and you shouldn't say, let's not talk about the Holocaust, right? But if we say, let's talk about sort of what's going on in these black communities and how they got there because of the redlining, and when we think about the redlining, that then banks didn't want to lend to those areas and you didn't have supermarkets. Uh, and so what happens is the area deteriorates and then now obviously it becomes, you know, sometimes crime or drug ridden, but that is because of the system. And if we don't talk about how the system sort of puts our backs up against the wall on a day-to-day -day basis, then we're, we're going to have problems. We're not being honest with self. We're not telling the truth, and truth well, matters. Do you have a business, service, or product that you want to get out to the world? Are you trying to build a new business and need more hands on deck? Tired of the same website or logo and need a new one? If you've answered yes to any of these, we have the solution for you. ELI Solutions is a creative agency that enjoys helping people to grow, develop, and build their million-dollar brand. Contact us today at myelisolutions.org.
you hit that one on the nail. So, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I just like with this black experience. I think we need to have a roadmap onto what it is that we are to look forward to with respect to our experience. So, I'm asking you, Eric, what do you think we are to be experiencing other than what we have experienced? The question. What? what well, I mean, I think after yeah, it's a great question. You've been coming. You can't. You've been coming at him today. I mean, you got me on a couple of these things. But uh, I mean, I think part of this roadmap is how do we make it better for the next generation of us, right? What is it that we need to do to ensure that they have that better experience? Because I think that there was there was some momentum, right? But I, I think you would all agree that I think looking at George Floyd, which we all knew was happening all the time, but I just feel that we're starting to get in a situation where it's not looking good again for us. I mean, we, we, we just need to have, for example, and I'll just give you some examples, that when you look at sort of this pandemic and you look at these PP awards, the majority of those of those awards were going to white businesses. You had very few that were going to black businesses to sustain them during the pandemic. So what happens is, is then the entrepreneurship drops off for us, and we need that in our communities. We need black businesses. Um, when we think about this education, you if you look at sort of now this the haves and have-nots, right? The have-nots are able to work from home. The ha- I mean, yeah, the haves are able to work from home, but the have-nots, they got to get up every day, and uh, we're dealing on that day-to-day basis sort of with COVID-19, and you saw mm. how, how it hit our community. So, so our roadmap has to be one of education, one of building viable businesses in our community. I also feel like the black church has got to be a part of that, because that's one of the areas that we need them to be also as a part of this effort too. Um, but we all—it's basically all hands on deck, really, right now. I feel like we're we're at a crossroads right now, where we've got to again going back to Sadiq, what I said, we've got to be aggressive in moving forward now. Right. I agree. I agree. I agree with that but, as well. But exactly if there is any exactitude to it, exactly what are we striving for? What are we trying to obtain? Is it just a good feeling? Is it to fit in? Is it to get something separate from um, the United States? Exactly what are we striving for as a particular people? I mean, I, I I would say we just want what everybody else has a fair shot in being able to have a successful life. And I think as part of that, being able to raise children, have a family, have a job, um, uh, you know, be able to, you know, just to take vacations. I mean, we just want to have what everybody else has has always wanted here, just a fair opportunity to have a good life. And I don't feel like when we come out, when we come out, when we come into this a lot of times, we're just our back is up against the world right from the beginning, right? You know some of the communities we live in, uh, you know, just just whether it's a supermarket, just whether it's just the opportunities. Um, just having, you know, we don't want more, but what we always often get is less. And that's all I'm saying is, is that we've got to put ourselves in a position where we just have the opportunity just to have a fair chance to do well in life. And a lot of times – when you look at it, we just don't have that. Now, that fair chance that you speak about, is that through legislation? Is it through finances? How do we get our fair chance? I think it's a combination of all those things. I think legislation should be that, you know, the legislation should have been during this pandemic when you were handing out these PPE loans. Somebody, why was, you know, obviously we were in a uh, uh, Republican-controlled environment but the majority I, th- I thought it was like the number was like 85 or 89 percent of the, the, the majority of pp owns went to uh, white businesses so so from a legislation standpoint how do you've got to have that where 
Somebody's got to be checking that to make sure that we get our fair share, and obviously we didn't. So there, there's that combination. There's, there's obviously a community initiative for all of us to be involved together sort of to help sort of build businesses, but also for an education standpoint. I think we still are in a situation where you look at sort of the education that we have in a lot of our communities, it's substandard. So that obviously is a combination of legislation pressure um, to make it a better way for, for, for those, you know, younger than us that sort of need that support and help. Now you have those that may say that we've marched through the civil rights movement We've had Martin Luther King and Malcolm X that spoke a lot, and we're here sure. talking about it today. Is that enough to get the changes that you speak of now? Well, I mean, I think, I, I think, I think, as you said, we did all that marching, and then you see, you know, what, a little over a year, yeah. a couple, you, you see George Floyd happen. So obviously, it hasn't been enough for that for that white police right. to be that confident. Right to be that confident that he was not be caught. And if you remember the initial report of that, the initial report was that there was an individual, I think, that was disturbed, but in the initial report, no police officers were injured. That was the initial report of sort of, and I don't think people remember that, but the only reason why it finally changed is because that young lady uh, had that video. But the initial report was is that, you know, everything was fine. And a lot of answer, right. And uh, I just wanted to say something. I think to answer your question, Sadiq, it, it all goes back to that roadmap that we were talking about earlier. People like Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and all those other leaders, they helped to pave the way for us so that we can have the freedom that we have today. And it goes back to this show and talking and, and educating and, and reaching out, you know, this outreach that we're all doing. I doubt very strongly if those men did not exist we wouldn't be here today. And that's true, because I like to say that our ancestors taught us that the day that we plant the seed is not the day that we eat the fruit. But as long as we continuously plant the seed and harvest the crop, so to speak, that we'll be able to eat our fruits of our labor at some point. And I think that we are doing the work of a gardener as we sit here and communicate our concerns and bring sure. awareness to the community that we will at some point, benefit the fruits of our labor. I don't exactly. disagree, brother. I don't disagree. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And putting it into a deeper perspective, I feel like we already have, because I'm feeling it right now. It's like every day doing the show and meeting different people and talking to you guys, it's like you just wonder, like, how better can it get? It just gets better over time, especially when you meet educated black men, you know, black people, um, being successful and doing great things. You know you're in the right place. I'm with you there. And we, I appreciate you. I appreciate you, though, putting us on and, and, and giving us sort of the opportunity to talk it out. Um, that's what we need to do, and that's what we're doing. So I appreciate you. Not a problem. And, again, you know, without you all, um, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have anything to talk about. So I just wanted to say thank you again. Um, and Eric, do you happen to have any closing statements that you would like to leave us with? I mean, I guess all I want to say is this, is that I continue to want to talk about how strong of a people we are. I keep telling you there was malaria. Uh, there was this terrible conditions. There was the, the heat, yet we somehow made it through, you know, and it was really the strongest of us survived. So that's who we are as a people, and we have to remember it. Through tough times, we've survived. We're resilient, you know, and that's because of all of us. We, 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 we've created some of the best things that this world has ever seen, um, but we just have to continue to fight and keep moving forward. We have to. So that's what I would say. I think Johnny Cochran said it the best, that we have to continue to fight the good fight. And from building yeah. the pyramids to the White House, because we built the White House also, um, 
that we have to continue to acknowledge our greatness, acknowledge our accomplishments, whether or not they were for ourselves or even for others. We have to recognize our genius. And in so doing, we have to share that in which you're doing, Eric, and I think you're doing a fabulous job at doing so. However, I'm a firm believer that at some point we will acknowledge that genius that we all possess. But we have to first be told that we are genius because for many years we've been told that we were nothing more than niggers, jigaboos, and even slaves. One of the narratives that they've given us is that we came over here as slaves. But contrary to popular belief, we didn't come over here as slaves. They didn't go and get slaves. They went and got artisans. They went and got scholars. They went and got kings and queens. And something you said earlier, man, that we got to realize that, man, that we are the descendants of kings and queens that they couldn't kill once they got us here. All right? So in understanding that, we have to bring that acknowledgement, man, to the forefront so that people can start acting according to that, that our people thought strategically in order to survive, in order that their prosperity, their prosperity, their children, their descendants would live. And now that we are here, we should be doing the work that they started. We should be traveling the road in which they paved, like the Sister Sage said, that these people have paved the way for us. So we should be walking in that path that they had laid for us. And that, I believe, we are all doing right now here on the Mundane Truth. I appreciate the things that you brought to the table. I appreciate exactly um, your points of view. I agreed with all of them. Um, And I just ask that you continue your fight, man. Fight the good fight. Let us move the eight ball even a little bit further. Thank you, brother. I'm with you. I'm with you. Thank you so much for that, brother. I'm with you. I'm with you. You got me hyped up on that. Absolutely. And, Eric, how can people find you on social media just in case they have any questions or if they want to connect with you? What is your contact information? Well, you can just look me up by uh, Northern Monday Films, and I, and, and I have an Instagram that I, will, I can share later. But, you know, I, right now I just keep it low-key until I want to come out. Um, but, I, you know, that's just me. I just I'll, – I'll talk and we'll get on here. But, you know, I'm not a big believer in just not until I get to where I want to get to, then I'm going to blast it all out. It's really, it's just really kind of my style. So you, I hopefully you appreciate that. <laughs> not a problem. And uh, I like that. So, Deke, did you have any other questions that you wanted to ask? All right. You said that you're under Northern Monday Film? Yeah, Northern Monday Films. It, it will be sort of this project that I'm working on on this black experience. Um, so you'll, I can, I can provide more information, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not one that is just going to blast everything out until we get to where we got to get to. That's just who I am. You spoke about the black regiment in Vietnam, I believe about the soldiers yeah, that went over there. Korea. Yeah, Korea. And that's, yes. that's, that's the Korean war. Yes, it is. One of the things that a lot of brothers don't realize is that the song that Bob Marley made, he made a song called Buffalo Soldiers. And mm-hmm. the Buffalo Soldiers was also about a black contingent of soldiers. And I remember when Dick Gregory was requested by Bob Marley to open up one of his shows, and Dick Gregory refused to allow him to open up a show. And Bob Marley was like somewhat perturbed. He was like a little offended. Like, yo, why mm-hmm. this man won't let me open up his shows for him? And when he finally called him, and after his calls were continuously not answered, Dick Gregory finally answered the phone, and he told him why. He said, Bob Marley, you know why I never answered your calls and didn't want you to open up for me? It's because... These Buffalo soldiers that you sing about were Buffalo soldiers that were sent out west to kill off all of the buffaloes so that the Indians could starve. And as long as they were starved out, the white men can come over there and conquer them. And Bob Marley was ashamed that he didn't know that history of the Buffalo soldiers and felt bad. 
and told him how uh, um, offended he was by not knowing his own history. So I just wanted to share that because that's a part of our black experience also. That right. I didn't know that times, either. That's great. Right. That a lot of times we are put in situations that we really aren't conscious of and we do the biddings of other people that don't necessarily benefit us. And Dick Gregory was one of those that brought that to the forefront. So I just wanted to share that with you because I know that you are working on something dealing with the black experience and black soldiers and his armies. A lot of times we were played for the fool and didn't know it. So I just wanted to share that with you, brother. Yeah, and yeah, I, I, and I, I don't even think it was. No, let's 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 put my last point. I don't even necessarily think it was played the fool, fool. I just think that we basically said that we'll, yeah, we'll fight, yeah, we'll 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 be American citizens in this country. You know, we just hopefully, I think some of the thought was there. They did it for us so that hopefully we could have a better life or we could have a better experience that we showed that despite not having sort of the right opportunities. For example, my father was a great athlete, but he was from a sharecropper family. He didn't have no money. He couldn't even go to an HBCU because he, he just couldn't afford it. So his only really opportunity at that point was to get a job, you know, and you can imagine down south, down in Georgia, the state of Georgia at that time, lynchings, you know, you know, going on every day. So his opportunity was to serve in the military, hopefully to create a better path uh, forward. And, and unfortunately still with that path, you know, it was just a very difficult out for him. You know, when you look back at it, sometimes you don't get along with your father, you're like, oh, man. But then when you kind of understand the story, you're like, okay, I kind of get it now. Um, maybe I didn't get it then, but, you know, I, I do give respect for those those individuals. Same thing with you know, same thing with the Vietnam War. I mean, that's that's just a tough thing where you're still we're still not being treated fairly. They see what's going home going on in the home front, and yet they're out there, you know, serving and giving their lives. So it's a it's a really tough um, tough scenario that we've been through. But again, we're resilient, um, and I, I just think that we we've tried to always show this country that we have given our 100% we've given our best. The problem is, is they, it's not been given back to us. Now, when you think about us giving us our best, and this system has a way of picking the best of us sure. and using us to our detriment as a people, an sure. example would be like Barack Obama, Barack Obama had the first and the second term. The first term he had the House and yep. didn't pass the major laws that benefited us as a people. He spoke about it. Then he had this guy, Donald Trump, that came after him and freed more of us than any other president. Did a great job with freeing many of us with the second chance that, sure, Barack Obama may have started it, implemented it, but this other president, man, did things that Barack should have done in his first or his second term that he didn't. Then we have, let's say, someone that has made it to the top, like Thurgood Marshall, the first sure. black Supreme Justice, and many of us are proud of him. But what we don't realize is that he wore a wire for the FBI against Martin Luther King. Now, the reason why I mention these two particular examples is how do we categorize these people in history as far as our people, what they have done to us and what they haven't done for us. Do we still support that type of people in our black experience or do we don't? Yeah, I didn't know anything about Thurgood Marshall, so that, you know, that's news to me. I, I mean, that's, you know, I don't, I, I don't know anything about, you know, the wire and the wire for Martin Luther King. Um, yeah, I think yeah. we're, the FBI had him put a wire on to determine whether or not he was a Marxist or not. And it's not yeah. different than Al Sharpton willing to put a wire on for the FBI to find out where Sada Shakur was and to set up a meeting to get her back to the United States with a million-dollar bounty on her head. And this is the point that I'm saying when we speak about the black experience. It's not just a good black experience, but we have 
a bad black experience also that has to be dealt with as a people. One of the things that I think that we fail to do is hold our people accountable. The word Benedict Arnold will always be a household name in the House of Europeans for being a traitor. But it seems like when our people betray us, it's not a household name. We don't know nothing about that. I've never heard that. I'm not sure about that. Or I'm forgiving for that. My question to you is, in our black experience, and as resilient as we are, has proven to be over and over, should there be a system of accountability for those that betray us? Yeah, I mean, there, there, of course there should be a, an accountability for those individuals that, um, you know, I, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess the short answer is I, w- I would, I would, you know, would hope there would be, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. I really appreciate your vibe, man. I appreciate your wisdom. I appreciate the information that you shared with us, man. I think that you added a great deal um, and even furthered our cause as a particular people, man. And I hope that at some time in the near future that we can get you back here to the mundane truth. I yeah, I mean, I think we, we – yeah, I think me and you kicked it. We kicked it real. I mean, we we were supposed to be on here playing games, and I thought that's what we did. You know, we took it seriously. You know, we got to be serious brothers on this thing. If we're going to talk, and, you know, I think this is what that is about, what you just said at the end, you're going to kick it the right way how you feel. And if we don't do that, then we ain't going to get nowhere. So I'm with that, and so, you know, I appreciate that. Absolutely. I appreciate you, brother. Eric, I want to thank you for coming onto the show and sharing that passion with us, and you as well, be. You've asked some great questions. Everybody, this is Sage with the Mundane Truth. Good night. Thank you all for listening to the Mundane Truth Podcast. We truly hope you have learned something today and that you will take action. Early in life, I learned that if you want something, you better make some noise. Malcolm X.